0: to figure out a personal you know every person in a working relationship no matter what the job is but you really have to hone in on like you know what what is this designer director what, what is their vision of of this project and you know how can i serve that as a director of photography you know and that's the pivot point and the good advice for directors is is to be able to tell people your your movie beginning to end and and your point of view uh, tell the story like you're reading a bedtime story you hone in on on the script and and the vision of that script and you just have to be fearless and kind of relentless about how to get to the end you know you you have to be kind you have to play well with others you have to you have to know how to manipulate things where people are moving money one direction for something because they feel the need to, and you want to move it somewhere else because you feel the need to to make the vision happen. And, and then it's about trust. I think it's you know it's about entrusting um, the, the team you put together, and, and you know kind of the more you entrust them, the more you empower them, the more results you're going to get.
1: And action.
2: Thank you for tuning in to The Art of the Shot, and welcome to Season 2 of the podcast. I'm your host, Derek Stetler, and The Art of the Shot is a place to share tips, techniques, creative processes, career advice, and life stories from the world-class filmmakers whose work inspires me. And I hope that our conversations enlighten and inspire you. Season 2 will dive even deeper into the minds of master filmmakers, and I can't wait to share more with you soon. Joining me for this episode are two familiar voices, cinematographer Paul Cameron, ASC, and production designer Howard Cummings, back on the art of the shot and in conversation together for the first time ever on a podcast. And they're here to discuss their work and collaboration on the feature film directorial debut from Lisa Joy. The film we're talking about is Reminiscence, which is unique because it's an ambitious, original, sci-fi, neo-noir thriller from a female writer-director who wrote the script while pregnant, got it successfully made as her first feature film, and filmed on location without needing any reshoots or pickups. And now it's playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. The story is set in a futuristic Miami, which has been decimated by rising sea levels and unbearable heat. There we meet Nick, played by Hugh Jackman, a private investigator of the mind, who helps his clients access lost memories and relive happy moments through a technology called the nostalgia machine. But when he falls for an alluring new client who mysteriously disappears, his life changes forever. Shot by Paul Cameron, who you know is the eye behind visually groundbreaking work like Gone in 60 Seconds, Man on Fire and Deja Vu for director Tony Scott, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, HBO's Westworld, and a few famous Super Bowl commercials and music videos as well. He even helped usher in the era of digital cinematography with director Michael Mann's 2004 film Collateral. And now for reminiscence, Paul worked with production designer Howard Cummings, who designed the sets for The Usual Suspects, The Rainmaker, many of Steven Soderbergh's films, and season two and three of Westworld. And together, they raised the bar for live, in-camera visual effects by creating a real, 280-degree hologram for the film's nostalgia machine which is a projection system that allows the characters to view the memories of others. In this exclusive conversation, you'll hear the two of them discuss the value of truly knowing your audience and your story, knowing how to enlist your crew emotionally into the project you're working on, while trusting them to bring their ingenuity to figure out how to achieve it, how to take highly technical aspects of filmmaking and make it feel emotional for an audience, and lessons for first-time directors from Lisa Joy. Howard also discusses how they achieved the look of a flooded future Miami on a relatively low budget. It's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy. If you're new here, please be sure to subscribe, and follow The Art of the Shot on social media to keep up with news and bonus content. Links are in the episode description. And I'd like to thank Evidence Cameras for sponsoring the episode. And now, please enjoy The Art of the Shot. Paul Cameron and Howard Cummings. Thank you so much for joining me on the Art of the Shot podcast. I'm uh, really excited to be speaking with both of you again. Well, thank
1: you. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be able to talk about reminiscence. Yeah. <laughs> the adventure. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, tell me about that adventure. I figured it was a good chance yeah. you guys
2: can, uh, pardon the pun, but reminisce about working together.
0: Yeah. yeah exactly.
2: So, uh, well, on the topic of reminiscing, talk to me about the first time you two worked together. What was that like?
1: Uh, It was on Westworld, okay, uh, second season, Uh and um, I always heard about Paul because you know he did uh, he set up the whole look of Westworld, and and it was like, you know, (laughs) I remember me having to tell certain directors who came in, I said. Uh-uh, we always it's the backlight. You're you gotta shoot half the scene in the morning <laughs> this way and the other half this way. And I said, yeah. hey, you can thank Paul Cameron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, because if you watch Westworld, there's some some instances when you're having a romantic thing between two people and they're on a horse at sunset yet the sun seems to be behind both their heads. Right,
3: <laughs> yeah. That
1: was yeah. the look of the film. It always had to look like it was a western, like, uh-huh. like a you know, like the, oh those movies did. And Paul, yeah. Paul captured that. So I had to live up to trying to figure out how to get in Paul Cameron's head before I even met him.
0: But that's uh, that's the way I see the world. Howard is. The back I, know. Left, so. <laughs> I know.
1: It's true. It's true.
0: <laughs> no, it was actually you know um, on the first season, Nathan Crowley. Um, was a production designer, and then you know coming on. It was it was great to meet Howard. I didn't, I didn't shoot much on that second season there, but I did uh, I did work in uh, Utah for a lot of the location footage. But I had a chance uh, really on season three to get back with with Howard and uh, uh, direct an episode with for, for uh, Jonathan Nolan and direct uh, I'll shoot one for him, and then direct my own for for Westworld too. So I had a, a chance of really you know, working closely with Howard and um, that was just fantastic.
2: Right, yeah. Working with him as a director and a cinematographer is kind of a opportunity, you know, an experience that almost no one has to to experience both sides of working with a production designer.
1: Yeah, you definitely get to know a person, but it was all good. It was all good. <laughs> but I, in the end, I've traveled around the world with Paul because I we've, shot, uh, yeah, the first time was in Utah, which is, you know, Honestly, the whole look of the show is sort of, you know, comes from that of Westworld. And then we shot in um, Spain and Singapore, it was mm-hmm. great. And so, uh, yeah, we've, we've traveled like full circle, Paul,
0: together. So We have, you know, and I think that, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, certainly as a director of photography, it's very rare you get brought in early, you know, on a, on a production. Early enough to do kind of conceptual scouting and planning with the director and production designer. So, you know, as Howard said, we we did you know some initial scouting for season three, which is a kind of big evolution for the West World background of where where it was taking place and what the new world would be in Westworld.
1: World. Yeah, you left so,
0: the park. Yeah. Yeah, so we left the park. That's yeah. why
1: we needed Paul back because go... <laughs> we go. We did not know what the world looks. You had like. to reestablish the whole look. No, we did, and it was like we don't know what the world looks like without Paul. So we had to have Paul. back. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so I had to find the most beautiful backlit places in the world to take. To. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> like... Well, there was that one
1: time. Remember when uh, Dolores was like uh, scoping out those guys, and we were in this um, amongst a bunch of high rises, and she was on an outdoor uh-huh. el- like. But the light was only good for this like half hour. Paul goes, "We have to shoot." Yeah, exactly. And it looked gorgeous, but it was like, like you know, okay, we you know we had to time out. You know, you know, it used to be you know dealing with you know, you know mesas and you know rock formations. Now uh, season three was uh, all about skyscrapers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So narrow windows of light. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Go> ahead, <Terrick.
1: laughs> so talk to me about
2: the, uh, Paul, if you can talk to me about the relationship mm-hmm. with a production designer from the standpoint of a cinematographer and mm-hmm. that collaboration. And then if you can just switch over to how it is from a director's standpoint, because you have a unique view into both. Yeah.
0: Well, certainly as, as a director of photography, you know, it's integral to, to, you know, work with the production designer, anything as simple as picking a location and time of day and, um, all the way to, you know, a set, the size of a set, the orientation of a set and, and, you know, how it's going to be lit. Um, it's coordinating with, with colors and look and feel. And, you know, again, you know, fortunately on, on, on Westworld was able to spend a lot of time with Harold and really kind of conceptualize with that. And then, you know, working as a director it just the ante goes up. It's really, you know, what are the pieces of the puzzle uh, from the script that, you know, need exacted you know, uh, specification, again, not only sets, but, you know, every single detail of a prop of, of uh, the feeling of every single location or environment you're going to be in and set, dress, all the way down to the set dressing, the fixture, everything, you know, that you might touch on as a DP, but here it's like, what is the shape of the light what does it feel like how many of them are there what is the feeling of the set what is the feeling of the street you know what does the future feel like here it really goes you know kind of ten levels deeper and um, mm-hmm. you know we're working with somebody like howard you can he's you know very very brilliant and and, and talented uh-huh. and you can kind of you know or, you know you can go the level you can and it, and, and the other thing is I, I'd say is you know, I've had good experiences, very good experiences with directors in the past, but you also have to be in a safe place, both as a DP and um, the director to kind of be able to kind of, you know, talk about things and be wrong and bounce things around and take something to somewhere and then realize it's wrong and deconstruct it and rebuild it with somebody. So, you know, it's been great.
3: Mm.
2: So personality, of course, plays a big role in in feeling... Like you have that safety to be, you know, creative and not feel like you're going to be wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about working on on Reminiscence, uh, Lisa Joy's film, but being fortunate to have, you know, consistency in a working relationship, you. There's kind of a shorthand. I can mm-hmm. say something, I can I can see you know, on Howard's face whether you know it's there's something he's interested so, in and I, I'm similarly not very good on at,
1: mine. I'm not very we, good think, at poker, it's true. Yeah, so. you're not very good at poker. But we just have a
0: shorthand about things that's and it helps save time, you know. Mm-hmm. It's and 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 if you look at you know, of, you know, great director and, and or certainly DP production designer relationships and you know in feature films and, and you know, specifically feature films, you know, you find those relationships that have lasted through three, four, five films, which, you know, we're fortunate to have, you do get a shorthand and you do, you know, you get a comfortability so that you get a lot of the stuff over with and then you can spend the time on the right stuff.
2: Mm. And Howard, what do you expect or what do you want from the cinematographers you work with to ensure the most successful and productive experience working together? And then same question, but for a director as well.
1: Well, I, I look at it this way, like it doesn't matter what I do with the sets or even the locations or what I pick and stuff. If the lighting, is not good you're screwed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. if you don't know what you know if if you and if you pick something and you have a point of view about it and then it's and then the other person fails to see it then you've not communicated properly so I think it's really just the ability to talk and uh so at least and I, I think Paul pointed out something I thought was good it was like you know you have to be in a space where you feel comfortable talking about stuff and you're gonna make some decisions that don't always pan out. You know what I mean? You know, they might seem like a good idea in your head. And then when you went to do it, it's like, ooh, that is not working. And you gotta be able to feel okay enough to say, How do we, how do we, what do we do? How do we pivot? And so uh and I think what's good about Paul, Paul always likes to think out of the box, <laughs> uh, especially, and as a director, same thing. Like he doesn't want to miss something. Like, is there another way to look at this, you know, that might tell the story better? And I like that, that's really great for me because it, it uh, you know, it makes you think about the whole thing and, and it makes you feel good about the choices you ultimately made, made as well. So I, I think really, if you can, Uh, The worst thing is when the, you know, cinematographer is just on their own like thing and they have a certain way of working Mm -hmm. and it's and it doesn't matter what the story is or what's in front of them, they're going to process it the same way. Mm. And so the have somebody who wants to actually figure out how to shape what the look is and what is exactly the look and ask those questions like Paul does. That's really great. That's all you can ask for because then you stand a chance of coming up with a unified look and um, to return to reminiscences. That, what as Paul said, the shorthand that we have really helped us with reminiscence because we were challenged on a lot of levels with that show. It's a, the little show that could, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just was like, Oh, I mean, it's like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? You know? <laughs> it's like we had no idea. And, but, but I wasn't afraid because Paul was there. And so because I knew Paul would take the time to figure it out and wouldn't just throw up his hands and just do something. He he really wanted to figure out what is this thing. And I couldn't always tell him what the are. I I didn't know. And a lot of it. Especially in a show like *Reminiscence* it evolves, because we're very location dependent. We weren't building everything. Mm-hmm. I, it's not like I mean, and it, it was a big concept show on top of it all yes. that was pretty much restricted by the fact that we mostly could only afford to shoot in locations, and we didn't have a ton of money. So it, that's a whole different set of problems than something where mm-hmm. you. You've pre-concepted stuff and you're going to the DP with a bunch of concepts and say, here's my vision of the show. And they just kind of look, give you a look, you know, like, (laughs) wait a minute. We never talked about this Uh, or, uh, you know, reminiscence was truly organic Mm -hmm. on every level. And what was great about also Lisa Joy, who directed it is that she is also organic. (laughs) So, uh, so, which is great because we, You know because it there was a forum we're in a safe space where we could all talk about things without judging each other Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. awesome that means that you could throw out a crazy idea Mm -hmm. and we could all look at you and either laugh or go hey that's a great idea and how do we do it or you know that's a great idea i don't know how to do it how what do you think and then and just be able to freely talk about that and that's i think was the special thing about for me about reminiscence because there were a lot of unknowns. We didn't know what the heck, how to do some of this. And, <laughs> and Paul is a real per- person who does his homework. Yeah. And really wants to figure it out. And you know, even though it might, you know, it, there's organic, but then he also tries to figure it out. So th- that's all amazing stuff to be able to, you know, that doesn't always happen.
2: Mm. Well, speaking of those conversations and being prepared. What should a director or cinematographer working with a production designer, uh, maybe let's say they, they haven't had too much experience in that area and they want to ensure the most you know effective and successful collaboration, how how should they be speaking to you if they may not know anything about how stuff is constructed? Um, or should Mm -hmm. they do a bunch of research? Uh, do you, do you prefer if they just speak to you in conceptual terms or in their own terms about, you know, how things feel or just what it looks like? What, what ultimately, um, should they know in order to just communicate to you in the most effective way?
0: Well, I think, you know, look, everybody's going to bring something to the table. You know, if you're, if you're getting hired, you know, as a director of photography and you come to a you know, a streaming show or TV show or a, or a film, whatever it is, you know, you, you you know the people, research the people that you're walking into the room with, okay? So you may not have been hired because you have the same expertise, but you are being hired mm-hmm. and you have to, you know, you've got to you've got do your research, not the ante, you know, not only know the players that you're going in a room with, but, you know, take the time to pull images or make paintings <laughs> or whatever you want to do to kind of, let the kind of um, referential process begin of, of bringing, you know, bringing something into you. and you really just have to, you know, uh, get, you know, communication going right away. You have to, you have to figure out a personal, you know, every person in a working relationship, no matter what the job is, but you really have to hone in on like, you know, what, what is this designer director? what What is their vision of, of this project? And, you know, how can I serve that as a director of photography, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the, that's the, the pivot point. And, you know, like Howard said, it's, it's, it's problematic if you get hired as a DP and you walk in and you're just, you know, you're like a guitar player in a band and and you know, four chords, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't bring those four chords everywhere you go, you know, you, you know, don't call yourself a guitar player if that's all you have in your in your in your toolkit. Mm-hmm. So you've got to bring much more to it, and and then I think the other key thing is listening. You know, is like there's a lot of people that come into projects that I feel that are, you know, they have a a certain agenda or or you know something where where you know, they have their idea of what it's going to look like as a director of photography or something. And it may be totally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. It may be exceptionally brilliant as well. Mm. But, you know, you give everybody else the benefit of the doubt that, that, that you need to listen, you need to process it, you need to keep feeding, you know, it's like a slow fire, just keep putting a little bit of wood in there and just kind of build it up to a nice level and keep it there for the project, you know, and that's, that's what you do.
2: Yeah. You know, being a good collaborator is one of those things that I think is, you know, it's talked about so much, but on the other hand, for someone who's, you know, just kind of starting out their career, the other thing talked about so much is, you know, having a vision and sticking to it and, and being, you know, uncompromising in order to you know protect your art and, and all that. So people, when they start, they get insecure, or they let their insecurities to the extent that they you know are having them um, prevent them from seeing other people's brilliance because they need to establish themselves. You know.
1: Yeah, that is, that's tricky. I mean, I mean, I have to say, for instance, like both Lisa and Paul they definitely have a point of view <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I have a point of view too, but yeah. you are dealing with like, Hey, no, my movie looks like this. And I go, well, my movie doesn't look like that. <laughs> and how do you reconcile that? You talk about it and you have to, that's right. I say. If you have the safe space to be able to talk about it, Usually yeah. in in the van and you wait till they're in a weak moment, like after lunch. or stuff. Yeah. And then you kind of pitch your idea <laughs> and they're kind of lulled into like, I, I'll say yes to anything at this point because I've been in the van for eight hours. You know, yeah, exactly. that- this
2: is why after the first week of shooting, you, you bring them a gift of, you know, a nice scotch, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna so, remember I mean, there, that about
1: them. There, going. there are no, there are <laughs> definitely tricks. Like, okay, how am I gonna spring this idea on somebody? You know, yeah, and everybody. Timing, knew.
0: timing is good. Yeah, timing is a huge thing. But I,
1: actually, you know, with Lisa and Paul, I, I, I didn't really have to worry about timing because mm-hmm. they were, they were generally, they knew. We all knew we were there to try to make a good movie as we could and and you know and try to get lisa her vision mm-hmm. which he has you know and then what's the best way to do that and then what you know and then not you know you might not agree with all of her vision and you might have to figure out like how can i enhance that vision right it's usually what it is
0: it, mm. so yeah. I think, I think you and I are pretty similar. Howard is like, all, you know, we will, you know, gone the extra mile and plan stuff and, you know, manifested the crew and the, the, you know, the the set design and thing and the lighting and everything. And we get it all together. And then, you know, uh, on occasion Lisa would show up and then just say, well, geez, I was, I really love this, but I'd rather do this. You know? <laughs> you don't react to something like that. You just kind of take a deep breath and you listen, you realize, listen, that's the, the there's a reason no, the, direct, I mean, the director's on the top. No, not, you
1: know, uh, no, and that, you know I've, <laughs> it's often, you know, the director hears, it understands what you're talking about. You've shown him even with concepts and stuff. Yet when they walk in, they kind of go, Hmm. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: you just gotta go like, oh damn! I've done everything I can to communicate this, yeah. but, but yeah. apparently it's it is different when you're standing there. It's it, yeah. a different feeling. And I go, okay. So, and I've learned like, there's no point in being defensive or weird about it. It's just it's better to, uh, to figure out how what can I do in my wheelhouse to fix this right now. And and yeah. you know if you get too much of an ego about the stuff you create, you start, then you start to get, um, it makes you really cranky.
0: No, and I think that's it. Yeah. It makes you cranky. And the other thing is, you know, it's, is control. Like you, again, if, if you have an agenda, you're bringing it into a project and you feel like you can have control over something, I got news for you. You know, you gotta, you have to, you really have to welcome on the fact that you, you know, as prepared and in sync and, on board with each other you are you have no control you know the director is the one who has the control and it's it's both you know production designer and dp to to respect that and just spin you know at a moment's notice and you know say okay we'll you know follow the leader you know for good or for bad you know uh, you state you'll make your point and move on and that's it you just have to keep going mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah it, <laughs> yeah. it, it you know it be prepared for a change at any moment, yeah
2: yeah well i'm going to ask you guys uh, each of you the same question and and Paul i'll start with you. Um, you guys had been uh, kind of referring to this already a, a couple times, but I want to know about the big challenge in reminiscence for you and how did you solve it
0: physically the the, the biggest challenge was financial, you know it was a very challenged movie. Um, you know, I had a, a very huge appetite, but you know, you one always arises to the occasion to find out what you can negotiate to to do, you know, or po- point your your money and your efforts to for the producers. You know, but I think you know the the other thing. This this film was complex in the sense that you know, you if you read the script, you can count the pages and say, oh, wow, it's it's a ninety six page movie, right? And then you realize that there's levels of, you know, the usual kind of Nolan joy levels of reality happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got the, you know, you've got the live action, then you've got the footage that's the reminiscence footage that's being projected onto the reminiscence machine. And then you have the reminiscence footage that the character is experiencing it. Then you have a different type of reminiscence footage, which is like first person uh, reminiscence for some scenes where, it's a character's point of view yeah. of of going down a reminiscence. So there's like four levels of reality and memory. Yeah, and memory. So it's so you're sitting there and you're looking at you know a one liner and you you know going through. Luckily, we had a very good good ad and we're like, no, wait a minute. You know what? We need we need to shoot this live action scene. We need to we need to 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 spend two hours shooting the projection angles for mm-hmm. it, which means that the actors had to come back and. You know, for very specific shots, for shots that I had to figure out with with Howard and everybody and visual effects for projection angles and matching lenses and heights and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, then you jump in and okay, give me the you know different type of anamorphics. I'm going to shoot the emotional footage now, and then. You know, on some scenes, it was like the first-person footage, which was also kind of handheld or steadicam.
1: You know, actually, I think when people look at it, they're not going to have a clue of how complicated yeah, it, was. it was. It so was so complicated. It was like, I, I remember walking on set and seeing, like, everybody with literally with their hands in their <laughs> holding up their heads, because it was yeah. mind-bendingly complicated, yet simple at the same time.
0: It, it, yeah, well, oh, that's the beauty of it you know? yeah and that, then oh, well it, that was yeah. the point
1: you had to make it look simple even though it really was you know the, the how <laughs> challenging that was and like paul said and not for a lot of we didn't have money to throw out these problems yeah this, this had to be yeah. solved and economically it had to be and then well the, the physical part that we it wanted to be physical and not just all like um, processed after the fact it, the actors are acting to real to things they're seeing and they're having emotion for and reacting to what mm. they're seeing so that was really important to Lisa and and this is mm-hmm. what caused this mind bending process
0: and the, but the other <laughs> level which we didn't you know we could probably touch on Howard which is, is the physicality of shooting the film because the film takes place in 2050 in, in Miami and The kind of vision that that lisa and howard put together is you know the water level is up two stories and you know um, people go to work by boat and it's too hot during the daytime and they only work at night so you know cut to us standing in four feet of water for most of the schedule you know most of a lot of you know howard Flooded and built a small South Miami Beach in the old Six Flags Park in New Orleans, and
1: uh-huh. that's how you, know, you did we it. Flooded
0: warehouses. We flooded warehouses. We flooded Yeah, I had, to, I had to take. And... I had
1: to take Jazzland. Which was full of ornate balconies or like that, and make it look Art and Deco.
0: Yeah, it was pretty. Really that's funny. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, those was beautiful. That gorgeous. You know.
1: So it was. Um, it was. Yeah. It's, but it's. Yeah. So when it wasn't complicated because we were trying to figure out the reminiscence parts of it, which mm-hmm. you could spend a mm-hmm. whole podcast talking about how how that yeah. got accomplished. It's just. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal the way we did. And, you know we tested that thing for months and months ahead of time. Why we we're all working on Westworld, we'd run off to some little warehouse and start yeah you know or,
0: projecting or, images, or projecting and, yeah. images,
1: and I'm throwing up like glass beads and all sorts of things to say, what well, can we project on this? What's it going to be and trying <laughs> to figure it all out? And none of it worked, <laughs> right, you know, but we started yeah. to get closer and closer to the answer. But it was down to the wire. I mean,
0: really yeah. down
1: to the wire in the end because, uh, you know, we were experimenting. And sometimes, you know, you experiment. It doesn't always, you know... um doesn't
0: always work. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it doesn't always work. So, uh, and it didn't. And, it, and then, but we knew we had, because of all that pre-testing and stuff that I was really grateful for, we, we knew where to go. And so yeah. uh, we didn't exactly know how to do it, but we somehow it was down to the wire I know. really really down <laughs> <the> wire. <laughs> yeah. well fortunately we had we had a really good secret weapon which was uh the our special effects team mm-hmm. uh, yeah. peter and pete chesney they're a father son mm-hmm. team and mm-hmm. they um were just uh really great to work with they're really oh, yeah. collaborative and just like but th- would think outside the box and and you know we like I I mean, there's this giant fight sequence in this abandoned conservatory building that goes through three levels Mm -hmm. and then ultimately ends up completely underwater. And uh, so, you know, I originally drew it all (laughs)
0: because,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, we can't. There's no way to, you know, but. Uh, Because I go, oh well, this is the only way we can do this. I have to build the set. We have to make a tank. We have to, you know, trough a giant trough because it was really long. Uh, Lisa Mm -hmm. really wanted this super long hallway for a a fight that just like this. They're just pummeling each other all the way down this thing. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we couldn't afford it and then yeah. <laughs> so i had but to go to the location it. but we had seen this kind of weird location no wait what we ended up doing is we shot it in an abandoned school uh-huh. that had been yeah. it had been abandoned since katrina it was um uh, yeah it, and so, ward,
0: right? so i the said ward,
1: will yeah. you yeah. ask them would they i said the place has been flooded before would they let us flood it mm. yeah <laughs> and they said yes <laughs> so that whole sequence uh, up until when they crashed through the floor uh-huh. was was in a real location, and yeah. uh, and nobody does that. And then the only way to do the street was, was the same issue. I I couldn't afford to build it from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, we talked we talked about that. We talked about going to different places to do that. And, and then when we some kind of back lot somewhere maybe yeah, yeah. or something or yeah mm-hmm. and then and, and it, that we could control or building it in a giant parking lot or mm-hmm. something. And then when we were scouting really early on. I, we saw uh, the Six Flags Park,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it was like, you know, it happened to be torrentially raining when we were there, and it, we walked onto their little, like, you know, Jazzland Street, mm-hmm. and there was mm-hmm. all this water and I stuffed. I said, well, kind of the writing's on the wall here, isn't it? Yeah
0: yeah, so, yeah. i remember we, that yeah. we
1: got to figure out how to use this because it, it was also full of alligators yes it was <laughs> oh man <laughs> was. Wild yeah and yeah. yeah, lots of things and so 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 because of the chesneys they actually figured out a way like okay how do we dam- make dam walls that you can't see and then mm-hmm. like, how do we flood the thing and then how do we do it with it the, brilliant you know, trying to figure really out how yummy. to do it inexpensively you know like mm-hmm. uh and you know and it was really you know fun like all the condors had to be parked in their own trough. They had to be parked in the water. In the water, yeah. Couldn't get them in and out of the water. Yeah, Yeah. and then uh, I just remember the first day of shooting... We hadn't quite figured out some things, like how does the crew get from one side of the street to the other? And and what they did is they all started taking my set dressing boats and loading up the boats with equipment, and they kind of waded across. You know, we 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 decided one thing that was great was like the water wasn't going to be very deep, so Mm -hmm. we could move we could move around in it. And so and we all were
0: waders. Yeah, yeah. we just had to be in the water. You just had to welcome being in the water, and um, (laughs) you know, some nights it was. You know, a relief to be in the water after being in New Orleans, free so yeah. weather <laughs> the stand in the water was like, oh my God, this feels so good. you know yeah, and it was like Howard said it was hard. We had to get you know all the gear loaded in um, so you know we could crane in a techno crane or something like that, but it's you know these are also scenes that had to be filmed live action and then projection angles and then handheld, you know uh, reminiscence, emotional footage type stuff. so. It was, you know, it's water challenge plus, you know, um, high concept idiot, sci-fi. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. it is. Yeah, with <laughs> and uh, and then it, it and then because, of, you know, what, for me, I honestly say uh, with yes that figuring out the reminiscence, you know, how to do that and how to do it in this physical kind of way and how to that was super tough. And then, you know, flooded sets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, are super challenging, especially if you have, don't have a lot of money. I said, but no for money. Me, the thing for me, actually, it was trying to find what the style was, and I, I have to say mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Paul, you know, seemed to have a vision of what it was, and I, 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 I so I kind of latched on to trying to reinforce that wherever I could. Yeah, and 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 it, it because if you talk about random innocence and you and like people would say, what are you working on? I said this movie it's called Reminiscence and they go, What's it about? And I said, Well, it's um retro Futuristic sci-fi film noir romance.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that perfectly <laughs> described. De- de-
1: detective story. Right. And I was going, going, yeah. what? And I go, I'm serious. That's what it is. And I, so serious. for me, it's like, <laughs> it's like it's like for me, it was like, what the hell is what style do we pick for it? I forgot. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. It's the other part was yeah. film noir was when it probably mm-hmm. maybe sure. should have been first on that list. And so and I and in the end, that's I think it did we did try to approach it from that direction, from the sort of... I think I call
0: it a futuristic, analog, noir, uh, romantic thriller. <laughs> that's what yeah. I call it. Yeah, that's people exactly are, people right. Are, people are like, same thing, like, we haven't seen that before. And <laughs> I think it's, you know, I mean, the, you know, it was like, the, you know, but early discussions with you, Harrod, and and Lisa was like, you know, I remember we people are like, oh, are you watching, you know, ask me you know, did you watch a lot of film noir? No, we talked, you know, we talked about things like body heat, like the movie body Heat, like specific scenes of like you know uh miami tropical environment warm skin tones sweaty skin Mm -hmm. you know and that became like for
1: for me you know because i'd always worked with lisa and paul in the world of westworld which is a really controlled color palette really controlled Mm -hmm. like they we we don't veer much beyond black, white, gray, and some. When you're in the <laughs> West, brown, brown. Yeah. And so um, and you know, green if there's trees and stuff. But um, but for this, Lisa wanted color. I mean, she's yeah. it's Miami. It's got there. You got to mm-hmm. have color. There's color in everything. And I was like, so it was like, okay, how do we make dealing mm-hmm. with that color noir? That those mm-hmm. two things don't obviously always go together um, yeah. yet somehow it happened. I think
2: yeah it's always surprising when you when you know things that seem like they don't go together really actually because they're so really rarely seen they really elevate each other like what immediately comes to mind is Mad Max Fury Road. You know, it was originally kind of supposed to be more desaturated and, like, apocalyptic look. You know, when, when someone says post-apocalyptic, people generally think a certain yeah, look. And then, color. Yeah, then Yeah, and then they went in the complete opposite direction, just boosted the saturation on everything, you yeah. know, in a really controlled way, though, of course. Well, so there's so many challenges in this film that you guys are touching on. And, uh, Howard, you were, you were describing kind of how you solved or how you came to determine the best path to achieve, you know, that look of of this future world in which sea rise has flooded most of Miami. Um, And then, you know, you mentioned the special effects guys are the ones who ultimately kind of solve the challenge of, of flooding the locations, but... You know, given your budget and the constraints you're you're mentioning around that, how, like, what was the method in which those streets were flooded in which that abandoned school
1: was flooded? Yeah, you did. I mean, it was actually pretty simple. In the end, it was um, uh, uh, kind of sheet metal kind of dam walls, mm-hmm. and, you know, which didn't mm-hmm. have to be very high, right? And and because of that, actually, the water pressure wasn't so great, so we could just use like two by fours and stuff for bracing, mm-hmm. like a, a frame bracing. And you, so you, you know, you have to bolt those all to the ground, mm-hmm. put on the sheet metal, and then put it like kind of a rubber gasket thing at the seam, at where the seam hit the where things hit the mm-hmm. floor. Okay. And then you could kind of, and then I had to kind of design around things like um, uh, on the. F- in the the, um, South Beach section, you know, Mm -hmm. the flooded street, docks are hiding a lot of the dam walls, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm covering that, so you don't see it. And then we, of course, so it didn't look like that. um, We had to go into some of the buildings, but because it was an abandoned amusement park, that wasn't so hard. We did the same approach for the the, um, school that we shot in, but I had to like, we had to like, I had to build, things to kind of cover up what where the dam walls are or, or it had to be just beyond the door you know on the back mm-hmm. side of the door so it looked like the water was going under the door but it wasn't mm-hmm. i mean but and it was but we we'd stop it there so we'd so you'd have to do all that stuff uh, ahead so uh so it the, the, it turned out like because we tried we talked about sandbags and lots of and, and everything we you know those are cheap, but they're also labor intensive. And, you know, we had to worry about getting rid of it at the end. So, uh, and then you had to build stuff to protect the real walls, So you weren't completely soaking them with water either. So there was, each place had its own little defined thing, but um, but there were simple solutions to that. There was a great warehouse that we shot in this really funky. And I, we kind of <laughs> tried to make, you know, I said, well, maybe they should come in a boat. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. parts of it were flooded when we f- first went to look at it, which was one yep. of the- so we, and we try to figure out illusion, what illusion can we do to kind of make it look like it's super deep here, I mean, even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I would, you know, we, we would put things in the water that were sticking like a giant sign sticking out of the water that, you know, said, you know, that, that said something you know, that was it's half submerged, stuff like that, just to kind of reinforce it. And how was the water
2: physically brought in or what, you know, so you're not just like waiting around for days for the water level to rise? How was how that part uh, achieved?
1: Uh, they would pump it in. Uh, we'd, we'd figure out, uh, in some cases it had to be in trucks. Mm-hmm. I think the school was in trucks. Mm. The, we had access to water at the, um, of course, we couldn't use just you know, swamp water or anything, because there were people in it, so it had to be relatively clean water. You know, it it usually took it like for the I think for the Miami Street, it was about a two day fill. Mm. It wasn't terrible, <laughs> you but it meant that I couldn't be like you know I had I, everybody like madly set dressing stuff, and of course we were supposed to be done, and of course we weren't, so we were all like. You know, everything mm-hmm. we ended up doing all the final touches were and the same was somewhat for lighting too they couldn't yeah, really yeah. run cable and stuff until we kind of knew where stuff was i mean you could write some of it but it was so uh we all had to be you know you have to be really careful because we didn't want uh, anybody to get injured of course.
0: You know, so I have to just say hard like just um you know even that's that south miami beach set we we were shooting on another part of the park. And we had uh, we you know we were scheduled to be on the on that uh, the South Beach set. We we basically showed up and they were you know art department was screwing in the last art fixtures or putting down the last cable. Yeah, the, the practical lighting
1: because it was all night shooting.
0: Yeah, and Rebecca it. Ferguson and, and you know we swung some soft boxes over and turned on a little backlighting. Boom! We turned on the practicals and it just it was like this magic mm-hmm. you know of. You know, it just kind of lit up. We literally lit it up maybe ten minutes, brought in, you know, a couple of boxes and you know, <laughs> the cab put the cameras in the boats and pushed them over to the dock and put them on and we started shooting and it was just gorgeous. So it was stunning.
1: Yeah, How I did really I did beautiful. learn I went I went I learned that like wow, you throw water in anything and it looks amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Try shooting in it. Yeah. yeah, well, it's so easy to shoot in. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, yeah, I imagine, you know, you you do all that kind of work and then it doesn't look, you know, how you want it to until you do like the last 5% of making the look and then it just comes together like, you know, almost instantly.
1: Yeah, early on in our discussions, we, you know, there was theories going around about like, well, Howard, you just need to build the bottom 12 feet and then the rest can be digitally extended. That, And then that, yes that you could have done it that way but it would have you know every shot would mm-hmm. have had that in it and 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 it's all reflected in the water too so but also it wasn't the show it just wasn't you know mm-hmm. like i said that you know the whole the, i think what sets this movie apart in some ways is the fact that like the reminiscences have a tactile
3: mm-hmm.
1: you yeah. have a tactile connection to it yeah because it's not artific- it's not totally you know cg it's 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 well, actually you're watching it and then there's a whole thing with i don't know if you noticed that the the reminiscence machine i, I forget I, we used to call it the hamburger <laughs> waffle maker yeah we always call yeah, it yeah so, it could have been a waffle maker <laughs> it's true but for some reason it <laughs> next time we'll call
0: it that. Yeah, the there waffle you go maker, yeah <laughs> it was
1: more like a waffle maker with a grid and everything yeah you're right yep. yeah uh, but we called it the hamburger but that when we put the holograph up which was a whole other story but that's how the projections we'll get into that uh, yeah that yeah. sort of 3d projection imagery was created mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh when you put any fabric on a curved surface like that it it it, it becomes concave mm-hmm. at a certain mm-hmm. point and so there was a whole debate about like oh that's not what i wanted but blah, 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 blah. but in the end it sort of it, i thought it looked cool it looked and we a, ended up yeah. we ended up keeping it it was just and it would, again. It was partly because it's kind of real. It was mm-hmm. interesting. You know, it wasn't a choice you'd want to make. But after he, after I, we were looking at it for a while. Kind of began to like it. you know, so, uh, and, so and it's all that kind of stuff. So, so we, so having fully CG environments, although there are several in the movie, that uh, that that wasn't what the what the show was about. Yeah, exactly. right? so, so that we had to kind of. Come up with solutions that weren't that. right. That is a perfect segue to really get into this because I think
2: mm-hmm. the the creation of this, um, you know, n- like nostalgia machine for the reminiscence, is such a cool creative challenge and and almost even a commentary on filmmaking because mm-hmm. your challenge, uh, Paul, was to figure out a way to almost d- do like a meta commentary on. On cinema itself. Mm -hmm. And there's like a a moment where Rebecca Ferguson's character asks, um, you know, how is it that when you're seeing my memories, you see it uh, outside of my perspective? And then um, Hugh Jackman's character asks her to remember her first kiss. And by the end of imagining that moment, she was seeing herself from, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a a third objective perspective. And, you know, cinema is kind of like memory in in how it Mm -hmm. captures and, and, you know, how it recreates the experience of a moment. So I I think, like, your challenge to figure out how to capture memory, Mm -hmm. just from even a cinematography perspective, like what camera angles, what lens types, what little techniques and what lighting, you know, and I'd love to hear you just talk about kind of the, the uh, ideas you had that you implemented to create, you know, the the look and feel of memory. But then Mm -hmm. to go beyond that and then to create essentially a holographic um, representation of that for other characters in, you know, quote-unquote, the real world to be witnessing another person's memories and to do that for real and not to do it as just, you know, a CG hologram, which could have been really easy to, maybe not really easy, but, you know, very straightforward to achieve. So... Just talk to me a bit about that.
0: Well, I, you know, Derek, I think that you know, when I when came to the nostalgia machine reading this script, I just, uh, you know, I saw the images projected. You know, mm-hmm. I just knew, I just knew, I knew, you know, about this material called Hollow Gauze. i tried it on a, a couple of projects before. And what is it? It's actually like a shark skin uh shark tooth material like a net material we use on a film set but it's actually got silver kind spans, of a, it's a scrim a, yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's a scrim, it's a scrim that's semi, semi-transparent semi with silver you know silver threads in it. so you know so i read a you know i took a heart a little bit and i just looked at I, I i'm only interested in this movie if we can create the illusion for good or bad somehow you know and and so i kind of um uh, started to do the testing and you know like Howard said we were testing Yeah you found everything
1: you found all the connections yeah. for it. You're the yeah. one who he, he like like I said, Paul does his but homework. I it was important. it was really important yeah. to Paul to do it in this way. It was like and he was convinced we could. <laughs>
0: Yeah, unfortunately. He
1: <laughs> yeah. so, so. almost acted
2: as the production designer a little bit in that about, sense. Yeah, you
1: no, know, he kind of he really went out there and then he like found um, you know, the yeah. you know, all the people involved the and, and wow. research and brought them in and we had big meetings about it and stuff. And uh, he, he really took it in hand and really mm-hmm. otherwise it was like, you know, he definitely, you know, was creating well before the camera rolled.
0: Well, it was a challenge. I mean, the choice was do you stand there with an actor and, and, you know, see stands in a tennis tennis balls and Mm -hmm. give them eye lines and something to relate to or do you create magic and illusion, you know, so, you know, I could talk about it specifically uh, a little bit, but, you know, there's nothing like the first moment when Hugh Jackman walked onto the set and saw Rebecca Ferguson singing, you know, the projected image of her singing exactly scaled to the right height the right you know the right shot was there he was looking at her and you could see the smile on his face like this is you know insane this is where is she (laughs) you know and that you know that's kind of um you know the sleight of hand that 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 we all contributed to make but uh, you know it it was kind of the genesis was uh, to create it as a, a real effect and then You know, it didn't change the fact that, again, all the angles had to get planned out, even if we had done it with blue screen or whatever, everything had to get planned out and pre-vis and Howard and I worked on the angles from the set that we were Well, honestly,
1: Paul sat with Walter Schneider, who was the guy, the set designer, who uh, grew mm -hmm. up the bank set and um, put together the hamburger. And they sat down for hours, Picking yeah. eye lines for each reminiscence and where okay yeah. so wow. and which meant that Lisa and and Paul had to decide where are the characters standing who are watching mm-hmm. the Renaissance. And, you know, exactly. the floor wasn't one flat plane. It was, you know, of course, the production designer had to have different levels, you know. To <laughs> and so, but that sure. complicated, like, okay, then, hmm. you know, and then you yeah. Jackman is significantly higher <laughs> than yeah. Candy Newton. And so yeah. that that changes everything. Like, what, at what point is she watching this? And at what yeah, point or, is she watching exactly. it? So that all had to be figured out in advance and mm-hmm. and it was like yeah. you know making that kind of commitment you know to what what it, what it was like even when we got to the location the furniture had to be exactly the way we had that paul had sat down and figured it out with walter yeah you know and and lisa and what lisa wanted and so you know it there wasn't it was you know I mean, there, mm-hmm. we we do things loosely, and there's spontaneity, and like you you shoot things that look great and do stuff. But this, mm-hmm. th- and we did that. But this
0: had to be. This know. had
1: to be really, you know, thought out. But you also had you to know. let the actors have the creativity to do what they wanted, you know, to some level or whatever <sighs> they bring, and then be able to react to that. It was really. Um, that...
0: <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a dance, you know, but yes. I think that, you know, I like, think the cool thing was, you know, and I pitched it to, to Lisa and to, to Mark, the editor early on. I was like, hey, listen, we're, let's train the audience, the 3D nature of this machine in the in the opening five minutes of the film. Then we can cut to, you know, any scene. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to get up and over. We don't have to be high and wide from the back or what." So, no, we would have had to have this, an internal
1: yeah, shooting schedule.
0: Exactly.
1: We, and we did it. Yeah. yeah, even that, like yeah. at what part do you want to visit that? Because you, you, you couldn't just cover everything and then go yeah. back. It, it was never gonna be it was all gonna that would have been wasteful too, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of that would have been money for everything else. So and time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so I think that would be the other thing is the challenge of the projection. It it it, it was definitely consuming and you know there were there were there were issues when we were filming it you know i had a few 20k projectors on a steep throw Very that were deep. blending together and you know you've got this organic material called hollow gauze that you know if it sagged at lunch we'd have to pull it and then they'd have to re-remap the focus during lunch or whatever mm. and well, so there were issues it like was that also and then
1: So if anybody you know, wasn't paying attention and walked,
0: <laughs> and then you know luckily working with bruce jones the, the visual effects you know we we you know ended up fortunately he ended up you know giving me digital mats of the projection so i could lay it over you know different projections that that you know, weren't as bright or I couldn't color, you know, as it was basically I had a live, you know, I was doing live color, I was doing live color on the projections the whole time.
3: Uh-huh.
0: And there were certain times where the angles were just it was a little too dim or a little too desaturated just by right by the nature of the projections. So I you
2: Yeah, know, and the way the light reflects off axis. Yeah.
0: But the the amazing thing was all these shots, you know, I think, you know, other people may have just said, oh, hey, we'll just shoot the film and then, you know, you guys pick later what to put on there. You don't create an illusion that way. And you know, you'll see, as you've seen in the shots, you're you're standing over Hugh's shoulder and you're looking and, and the frustrum of the horizon line
3: mm-hmm.
0: of the image is matched to the horizon line of the machine on every single shot. So that means every lens, every camera to you know, actor to actor to screen is all figured out. Every wow. single shot is. Yeah, figured it there were out. times.
1: <laughs> there would be times when I would uh, be at the location and and people were, like creepy people were going, "What's going on?" I said, oh. "I said it's all about horizon line and eye lines." And I said, <laughs> "And I said we just got into a poll where we thought we figured that out, but I said." It, yeah, I said it's super complicated, and I know it looks like they're all pissing yeah. their nose, but they're not, their minds are all exploding right this second. But <laughs> yeah, and the it, crew I, look at me like, What are you doing? Yeah, again? the crew like, did you know,
0: not st- they, 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 they got me. a little
1: better as we went along, but either <laughs> th- or they began to just ignore it because they were going, Who are these assholes who are just trying yeah. to like, why would they worried <laughs> so much about it? But it was true, yeah. it's like, and I was, <laughs>
0: yeah, it was funny.
1: It was, you know, it was funny but funny. very sad. Yes, <laughs> in the eighties. By a, figuring that the 80s out, the eighties in the corner, grabbing, <laughs> grabbing. You know, like almost crying, and you know, um, you know, <laughs> Bruce. Bruce was, you know, he took it on that part. Of, I what was great, I mm-hmm. thought, is that he actually took it on to solve the problem physically first, even though he was gonna eventually yeah. you know work on it on another whole other level. He wanted well, I had to
0: dump it on him, you know, I had to basically you did. dump it yeah, on him. Yeah, because we had to start you know. shooting. And
1: like I said, we didn't quite solve the problem. And it's like five days yeah. before yeah. shooting. And uh, I'm right. like, and everybody's going, oh, is this OK? And I go, no. <laughs> and, the, yeah, Bruce and then is Bruce is in there in the all night chair. long with the can. You know, I walk on and I walk in and I go, oh, that doesn't look so good. Wow. And then I walk out. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he relentlessly stayed in there
0: to make yeah. it. I was like, here's the projectors. Here's a camera. But this is after in. months of you doing work yeah, exactly. on it. Months.
1: And oh, yeah, And you had yeah, to do yeah, your yeah, other man. other job, which was actually shoot the show.
0: Shoot a movie. <laughs> shoot the movie. He couldn't do the projection. Shoot the movie, yeah.
1: yeah. and Bruce yeah, stepped in. Good. He was just amazing. He just really, that he took it on. And he he's a very smart guy. So
0: mm-hmm. he, he, he's smart. Figured, he figured it out. You know, and I think, look, the the like I think you hit on it, Derek. The quality of the image on the machine, and the fact that it's transparent, and the per, you know Howard's production design of the of of it, and the lighting mm-hmm. that I did with Ian Kincaid and Chip Carey. and you know this, it it, you know, the key thing was to create kind of a romantic magic. Yeah, you know, and that, you did it. That's what it, you know, and and that that kind of hats off to the cinema thing is like, these are the illusions that you know, make movies important, you know, and it make, makes the experience of going, like if you see this movie on on a IMAX screen, you know, on a silver, laser. I did. oh, you did. So you see, if, if you see a laser, laser IMAX, it's an experience, yeah. you know, um, it's not watching it on your, you know, it's a, this film was not designed to watch on your phone. It's, it's, it's a, the theatrical release is beautiful, but the IMAX and the Dolby are just incredible. They're, they're an experience. You know? <laughs> You know, all,
1: I'm just laughing, just because yeah, yeah. you know, I have this journey because I'm sort of a everybody part of this team. A lot yeah. of them had started with Westworld, and and I came into it a little bit later, so I walked into it. But there, but but everything they touch is all be, it, it comes from loving film and films. Yeah. And so you're right, Derek, that there is there's something, and that's partly why it had to be tactile. I mean, we shoot on film, you know, when you shouldn't shoot on film. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> like, you're doing all this <laughs> digital stuff, like, oh, God. But it's because they love it so much. And the stories mm. all relate to it in some ways. It's, you know, Westworld relates to, you know, the the classic Western and this mm-hmm. relates to, you know, film noir pieces that, that not, and not directly, it's not directly, it's just loving film. And so mm-hmm. I, I stepped into a group that just clearly loves film and everything about it and what and how do we make it more like, you know, that experience, you know, it's so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, seeing it on IMAX, I'm excited to experience that because uh, Paul's right. It's it's really. I mean, it looks great on an iPhone, I'm sure, but it's not. It, but uh, but it, it's even. It's a. It's meant to be a film experience, and I'm really grateful it it's coming out when it's coming out as opposed to, you know, unfortunately, you know, we finished it early enough that it could have been a COVID release, and I'm and I'm I am really grateful that you know wh- whoever it's up there decided you know in you know
2: to delay it so
1: people could like really yeah, enjoy it the way it should be it's a, it's a film yeah. experience yeah it really is a film experience and i i think that's part of the fun of it is that it's clearly a film experience mm-hmm. mm, good to know because i was going to ask you guys about the
2: uh the shooting and and you know production schedule and how much of the film was you know
1: completed during COVID or you know oh so we we got we lucked out and we yeah. we finished about two weeks before mardi gras mm-hmm. wow yeah. and so i good. i stayed for the first two weeks of mardi gras which was the sort of local mark it's more local i stayed for that and then got out and uh the, and then that's when the troubles began mm-hmm. so we we although i'll have to say in december we had a lot of crew people who were very sick december of 2019 so, yep oh very sick like my construction coordinator was in the hospital wow. with some weird flu must have been covid yeah, yeah i okay. have this weird and i was sick for about 3 weeks uh-huh. Yeah. You know, so uh, we had it was right t- before Christmas, and then mm-hmm. and then it sort of broke. We got, came back, and everybody was fine. But it was uh, oh. and nobody, ser- nobody got really um, seriously ill. But it was, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, it. They ended up being okay. The guy did end up in the hospital, but mm-hmm. he. Uh, but that was is uh, so. Who knows? Wow. Right?
0: I think the other fortunate thing is we we. It's the first film I've worked on where we shot every single frame during principal photography so there was no oh no reshoots there wasn't a reshoot there wasn't additional photography there wasn't any <laughs> there was
1: no after. money we spent it all
0: we spent <laughs> it all
2: <laughs> wait a minute yeah but sometimes that that is irrelevant you know that that's why things go over budget cuz you you fundamentally didn't get what you needed to get
1: I, I think it's a tribute to to lisa and paul having figured mm-hmm. it out like they they like lisa I mean, there's things we actually, things that didn't happen and we all knew, and but we knew they weren't going to happen. And mm-hmm. th- we pivoted to make it still, make the story still work. Right, so right. So nothing. Yeah. yeah, we we didn't make it so that, you know, like the thing, because we all were going like, oh, we'll never get enough money to go back to do anything. So let's <laughs> figure it out right now. Let's not yeah. just say, put yeah. a Band-Aid sure. on it later. Yeah. That wasn't an option. So.
2: Wow. Okay. So you have uh, Lisa Joy, her first film, Uh, She wrote and directed it. You know, she had directed uh, a couple episodes of Westworld, but otherwise, you know, this is her first. Oh, one. One. Okay. So Mm
1: -hmm. one and a really hard
2: one. Yeah. I I remember
1: it too. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just said like, wow. I said, first time director on the Westworld thing. And I said, I I, 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 I began began to question Lisa and Jonah's relationship a little bit because it was (laughs) like, really? (laughs) And then yeah, she was yeah, pregnant. Yeah. Oh my gosh, on <laughs> top of that. Wow. Yeah, part, yeah, mm. somewhere the way through it, she also got pregnant. And during the Westworld like, shoot, not the, yes, uh, not Reminiscence. Yes, yeah, okay. during the Westworld shoot. Yeah. And then uh, I think her youngest was uh, three when we shot Reminiscence. So, through four.
0: So. Look, I mean, look, the, the the script is brilliant. You know, the script is brilliant. Like at beginning to end, you, you know, do some initial scouting with somebody like Lisa, and they, and she kind of, She gets into this tiptoe mode where she kind of carries her script Mm -hmm. and she kind it's almost like and she moves, she holds the script in her left hand and she kind of waves her right hand. Yeah, she's holding the script against her heart. While she's (laughs) tiptoe, while she tiptoes backwards and kind of says, you know, then they come through the door here. And then we have this dialog here where this happens. And then the camera will be looking over here when Rebecca comes in. And then they have this dialog here. And then we learn this about them, and then the characters go here. And then we learn this about them. And then come you know, kind I'll of say,
1: take... "What you just described was the tech scout."
0: Yeah, I, and that's remember, the movie. Like Lisa I'm... had
1: not we because of the because of Westworld, and because we were shooting it fragments, we never had like a full on tech scout like a film does. Mm. And Lisa told the whole. If we get to the location to tell the whole story to the crew, like spell it all out and act it out for everybody and it was just i almost went to her and said you know directors don't do that
3: (laughs) but but that's the amazing amazing but it was like but she had made that
1: choice and i looked and it was kind of great i thought it was great i thought people should know what the fuck this thing's about Mm -hmm. they should know why emotionally it's important they exactly. should, but it shouldn't just well, be about like, well, hey, yeah. I need a dolly shot a dolly, 20 foot dolly here and a thing here. She made it emotional. She was trying to make it emotional for everybody. Mm. And so yeah, I know you I, see I the movie, you see the
0: story, you yeah. know, and that's the difference is you know, and, and it's the good advice for directors is is to be able to tell people your your movie beginning to end and and your point of view of, uh tell the story like you're reading a bedtime story and then the other thing is you know for a director of photography or, or even production designers to know your you got to know your material as well as the director mm-hmm. so if you think you know a script and you think you feel like oh it's okay i basically know what the hell's going on here it's the you know and you know yeah i'm going to do a master and a couple you know overs and we're out of here i call bullshit mm-hmm. you know? that's not you know that's not seeing your movie you mm-hmm. know so when you work with somebody you know like Lisa you know and even or you know we work with Jonathan you know when they when they tell you the story and the point of view as they're doing it and you learn you know their point of view as a director you should be able to do that you know you should be able to tell that you know as a DP I should be able to tell that to my her the director's point of view yeah. of this, or you know, the same story, and it, it's—I think it was—you know—I've never really experienced it, you know, outside of you know, I think working with Tony Scott, who mm. was able to kind of walk through and tell you the story, you know, on a scout, like beginning to end, but the scene was and where exactly the you know the camera would be and exactly emotionally what was going on, mm. you know? and that's that separates filmmakers, man.
2: Yeah. Wow. Well. It's good to hear he did that, too, because you look at his work and you're like, clearly he did something different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could just put that up to his uh, stylistic, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, preferences and and the kind of stuff that you two worked on together. But there's obviously to be able to have the career he did, he had something else that he was doing beyond his style. And yeah, I think, passion. yeah, that's you what, touched I mean, on it. And that's, yeah, what, I mean, what, that's
1: what Lisa exactly. was expressing when she was talking mm-hmm. about it. I mean, this was a passion project for her. No one told her to write this. You know, I got on, I was involved really early on. We were trying to pitch it to get, like, distribution and funding. You know what I mean? And nobody, nobody, you know, it's not like she had a deal in place or whatever. She just wrote it because she wanted to. Wow. And she, and then she went out and in her Lisa Joy fashion, was not going to be stopped in selling it. (laughs) And it didn't matter that it was Christmas And I had to work all through Christmas, and and try to find concept artists who just like could give a rat's ass about what. What
2: some the, unknown director?
1: Some unknown director who's trying to pitch a film in Germany to. And I was going. Yeah, that was like Christmas where you you
0: were doing concept art. And I was yes. shooting drone footage yes. uh, via FaceTime. You know, I had a drone company in Miami shooting. Oh, drone in Miami, footage, yeah, yeah. Holding the yeah. their phone yeah. Lisa goes, hey, monitor. can we get
1: drone footage? I go. <laughs> It's December twenty-four. Know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she, you know, so it. we, uh, but she. Relentless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, and, but, you know, also, I mean, she, she'll ask. She is not afraid of asking. And I actually oh, no. think to be a director, you have to mm-hmm. not be afraid to ask. Yeah, you have to be bold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to figure out like, what do I do when they say no, mm. but you have Ooh. to be, you have to not be afraid to ask. Mm. So, and she's not, she's just like, and then, <laughs> and, and she asks in such a charming, yeah, nice yeah. way. It's really hard to say no to Lisa. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> unless like, you, you know, that's what was funny because she, she'd she say something and and then she'd look over and she goes, Maybe not. Look at
0: Howard.
1: <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> and she got <goes> like, <laughs> she
0: would gauge the ask. Or not. On, on a top of Howard's. Yeah. Face. So she, I, I really mean, really she had right.
1: awareness about what she was asking for. She just wasn't <laughs> afraid to ask for it. She knew what it took. She just wasn't afraid to ask, you know, and that's Ooh. bravery. She's brave. She's a very brave person.
2: Feels like you'd have to be because if you look at this film in some ways, it, it seems like a bit of a miracle. You have first time female writer director on a ambitious sci-fi original film and from what you guys are saying not you know not with some deal in place where it's you know whatever you write here's a hundred million dollars to make it you guys had to fight for that and even then you know it was comparatively for for what the the uh, end result is, I'm sure, and, and certainly what the vision was, you know, a low, a lower budget film. And it was created, it's being released, and it was made without having to do any reshoots too. I mean, yep. all this stuff is kind of amazing.
1: Not yeah, yet for somebody first time. It's like, yeah.
2: Yeah. What a great example for like a, a first time director to learn from.
1: The other factor, you, the other piece of the puzzle that you did leave out, okay. When you're lucky enough to get the funding from a studio, a big studio, mm-hmm. keeping control
2: of it, right? Oh, because then then, uh, then you give up the control, like in exchange for and, the funds. And that,
1: and because, like Paul said, people have their agenda, and you know, and certainly people had their agenda. This movie was a certain kind of movie, and it was going to fit into a certain kind of slot, and they were going to invest a certain amount of money into it, and. Mm-hmm. And that didn't include all of Lisa's vision. And she never gave up. Hmm. She never gave up. And I, after I saw the film, I just went, Oh my God, you, I don't know how you got yeah. what you talked about. From day one, you got what you talked about. And you were told no so many times, you know, because people, it just wasn't the setup. And she figured out a way. To make it all happen, and that's a real strength for a first-time director to be able to have the strength of conviction and passion, and also to just say, "No, this is what my film is," and you're going to give it to me. (laughs) And they did, and they did. (laughs) Uh, Well, they not to the full extent that she wanted, but but they gave her what what we what you needed needed to do it, and 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 she's smart enough to work with making that happen and not just throw her hands up or pitch a fit or do it she never did that right. she just she or she just kind of put at one point i remember she put her foot down when the schedule came out she just kind of put her foot down and i was like wow and she because she wasn't afraid to she's she knew she had to and she had the courage to that's why i say she's a brave person she's really was brave, and it was the right thing to do because ultimately they said okay we'll do it you know and <laughs> never, you
0: know
1: and they weren't happy about it but they did it you know this is what we're gonna do well
0: it's funny because we were like we're you know we're not you know we came down to it you guys are so over budget we're not gonna go go to miami at the end of the schedule and lisa yeah. said that's okay we won't go after the schedule we'll go after the christmas break because we're going to miami or we're not doing the movie yeah. and
1: we that's were what already I, shooting
0: I, the movie and and it's kind of and then when you listen to the argument, the proof is, well, how can you, you know, it's that same thing of like, you can't really argue, like this is a film that takes place in Miami and it's not a CG film. Of course, there's a couple of CG enhanced shots in there, but, you know, we did, you know, we did it, we did it. And this is the way, you know, Lisa and, and, and Jonathan work. And, you know, when we do these, you know, we did it on Roll. When you go to these locations like Miami, you basically have two crews shooting, tw- you know around the clock so or three the time to, yeah. yeah or three so the time you get off the plane to the time you get back on the plane probably sleep about an hour and a half you're you shoot you know morning noon and night wow and you still go out and have dinner and drinks and maybe go back out and you know shoot some more and get a couple hours of sleep and laugh about it and get back in you know the next morning and you, you know and that you know the difference is everybody kind of rallies to it because they, you know, were enjoying the people and the material mm. and, and the product, you know, and that and the fact that we weren't, you know, we didn't have a bunch of studio people or, or or you know, network people or something saying, you know, no, 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 you can't go over eleven hours, you can't, you can't. We found a way to do. We find it. We find a way to do everything we can possibly do to take advantage of the locations and time we're at.
2: Hmm. You talked about a few of the things which really led to, you know, Lisa's successful um, mounting of this film and, and and getting it basically just in the can, you know, in, in a way that she didn't really compromise her vision. I feel like there's um, there's so many lessons there for like a first time director about how to, you know, deliver. And yet, not compromise, and not go over budget, not need reshoots. You know, not run into all of these problems that um, seem mm-hmm. seem inevitable for a first time uh, director. Is there anything else that you personally witnessed that would be, you know, from working with her on this that would be uh, worth sharing for any other first time directors?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, you know, just having started kind of directing myself more, you know, you 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 just kind of you hone in on on the script and 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 the vision of that script and you're you just have to be fearless and kind of relentless about how to get to the end you know you you have to be kind you have to play well with others you have to you have to know how to manipulate things where people are moving money one direction for something because they feel the need to and you want to move it somewhere else because you feel the need to to make the vision happen and and then it's about trust. I think it's you know it's about entrusting um, the the team you put together, and, and and you know kind of the more you entrust them, the more you empower them, the more results you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the the key things you know for me.
1: I, I I totally agree, and and Lisa's really good about that. She she trusts her team to bring her what she's asking for, even when she knows it's not really possible, (laughs) you know, (laughs) she trusts them, you know, to a fault. And then she, and then when you say, or, or when she looks at my face and go, well, maybe not Uh, that when, you know, you you can't do it, she will adapt herself. So she knows her, she knows her audience. She knew her audience with her crew is, and she Mm -hmm. was very careful to to enlist them emotionally, let them know this is a passion thing for her and that she yeah. she will she's done her homework that I you know and, and clearly no one with you know Lisa did her, her homework. I mean she just never mm-hmm. stopped. And but she also did that on a producing level. She she knew her audience. She knew mm-hmm. who she was dealing with and she knew at one point I have to put my foot down mm-hmm. and I have mm-hmm. to fight for what I want. And we're going to go to Miami and this is going to happen and we're going to figure out, you know, maybe I won't get all the days I want and maybe we have to do, shoot two units and maybe I have to, you know, f- figure out how to juggle all this stuff, but I'll do it because it's really critical. And, and, mm-hmm. and we, and you're, we're going to and trust her team and, you know, uh, the uh, Brandon Landon, the, uh, uh, the Landon into the, First AD, it, like you figure out how to schedule this so we can get it done, and and you know, and you do it because she trusts you to do it. So, mm-hmm. um, and she's dictating and trusting at the same time. <laughs> I think yeah. that's that's a good skill.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. One of the main takeaways is to really know not just your film inside and out, but also mm-hmm. your audience inside and out, or at least you know, attempt to empathize and, and project with you know your audience and communicate to your your crew mm-hmm. really so that they have their own relationship with the story that you're telling. and they're not just there doing you know their their craft, but they are invested in mm-hmm. the outcome of that.
1: Yeah. And then also yeah. how to and also know the production team and how to to, to get them to understand mm-hmm. all of that and to support you. And ultimately, that's what happened, and it wasn't easy. But, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because the because it was so ambitious. I mean, it was just so ambitious, and then it wasn't. And and so it's just easier to say, you know, that's never going to happen. And but it did happen. And it's like hmm. we. Oh, it's funny. We were Paul and I did a, um, a music video as, as for some original music. For the show, oh. and uh, it, and it was uh, was that for the Scouting... end credit song, the one used yeah. in the trailer. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so she did this music video, and she would never done one, which was in Paul and mm-hmm. I have are probably you know more than seasoned mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in that area. <laughs> <You> know, <right? laughs> yeah, yeah, because our early careers both were in that area. Yeah, you kind of cut so, your teeth, uh, on that. and it was just like. I'm going, you know, and there's this mm, she yeah. was wise enough to get a really great production team. And, and as she and they were there and they're going, well, it's clear we're not going to we can't shoot in this theater, but we're going to shoot in this um, stage instead. Right. And I go, not so fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> not so fast. <laughs> and I said, well, it's one hundred thousand dollars more. And I said, I'm telling you, she will figure it out by the end of yeah. the day. <laughs> okay, we're shooting in the theater, you know. It was yeah, like, she, exactly. and she yeah. did, she figured it yeah. out. She worked, she had her producer standing there next to her. She worked with them. They figured out an angle to go back to figure out how to get the, the other thing figured out. So, you, I mean, mm-hmm. as you know, for a first time director, that's pretty amazing. Well, wow. it's pretty amazing that she had the, the you know, I mean, she's a first time director, but she's also, you know you know, written and show run at, at a very complicated TV series. Yeah. yeah. So it, she's learned no, along the way. She is not a novice yeah. in any any regard, especially to producing and producing things that are way more ambitious mm-hmm. than what the what the production part of it with, with is prepared to deal with. So she had a lot of experience with that. So she maybe she had a leg up on you, you know, she's not a first time sure she she's all. not
2: 24 year old
1: spielberg making no Jaws. she knows she knows her stuff yeah and she yeah. Really knows her stuff and she and she knows when how to play ball and and when to play hardball and when to play softball <laughs> and, when to, <laughs> and when to put on the charm and do all that and and, and that makes a great working with her because you you do feel like you know you know, I, I mean, I just find myself, i go. she really wants this. I really want to give it to her. I'm going to figure it out. I, I will figure out. it out. Paul too. Exactly. And, and sounds
2: like you had the freedom to be able to do things that you wanted to do because you had the trust that she would come through on her part, even if, even if it seemed like kind of impossible at the time
0: well say it's the same kind of shorthand thing where you know she'd be talking about something in a meeting like you know maybe we just don't do this and then it would be a big effect on me you know or what i was planning on doing for something realized and then she'll look over and see like oh shit <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> i just sold them down the river on you know taking all the night lighting out of that scene or whatever or something like us. And then, so she'll pick up on it and then go, well, okay, maybe we'll keep that in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's this kind of, you know, She protected this, you in a way. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, and Well, I think she protects again, you I, and
1: uses you all at the same time. She's all really, at the same yeah. time. That's really, uh, but, and, but. Hence the director.
0: All for making, <laughs> that's the job. Trying to make yes, the, the film
1: great. Um, and then she, and you know, I never doubted that that's what her goal was. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, not to diss any uh,
0: you know product out there, but you know it's like what it comes into reality when you you do certain projects. You have to look at the ultimate, you know, what is the script, and what is you know, what is it for, you know, if it's a you know if it's a, a franchise film or something that's serving you know just pure entertainment or something, and you're you're treating it like it's the end of the world. It's different, you know, when you when you have a passion project for somebody and you you feel the story is going to enhance, you know. Uh, people's lives Mm -hmm. and that it's a good time for people to see a movie like this. Then you play cards differently. It's like, you know, you do everything you can to say, Hey, I want, I really want, I want this movie to get out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want this director to have a great experience and have their vision come true. It's like, yeah. then I pick up the phone and I call some vendors and people and say, you really got to help us out here. Like, you know, but on certain things you don't do that. Right. How are you just, you know, you you don't.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And this was definitely one of those. You know we we all wanted it yeah you know, sounds like they want it i i just wish her all the most success not necessarily like i she doesn't necessarily have to design some i mean direct some giant thing and she wants i think i hope she i i hope she gets to design. you know lisa is such so smart and so like interested in lots of different things that i, I have no idea what she might come up with next you yeah know? And and uh, <laughs> really, I don't. You know, I, I yeah. don't know what it is. And but I know yeah, they, that she will care greatly about it, and she will. Yeah. And it won't necessarily. She she definitely, it won't be the norm. Mm-hmm. She she, yeah. she she's very independent. True. She's an independent, free thinking person who, uh, and that you know it's great to work with somebody like that because it's inspiring. You know, when you look at somebody who's like, you yeah, know. I know
0: yeah I you know i told her hey let's i said let's you know i said let's come up with an idea to do a 16 millimeter black and white movie (laughs) and she said when can we start oh i was like that's you know that's the kind of thing where you're like you know you're willing you know if you're you kind of separates people that are like you know look here's a pert, you know quite clearly she's getting offered major franchise movies and you know uh through the you know Star Wars, you know. So this is not this is not somebody who is being taken lightly in Hollywood. They know she's a powerful to contend with, extreme talent, and you know, a great you know future ahead of her. So you know to have somebody say she'd rather do a sixty millimeter film than you know a massive uh, a massive film that's that's an independent filmmaker.
1: Well, she cares about film, and she loves it, and storytelling. Yeah. She's yeah. a she's ultimately, a, you know, it's all about story and yeah. You know, and uh, she has the talent to write it, which is just you know that's the other yeah, uh, yeah really you know. And she's uh, such a good writer, and that it's like it's it's mm. it's she's just she's got the full uh, package. She she does, and that that doesn't come along that much, you know, that often. So, mm. in in that quite that combination, so.
2: Speaking of the of the topic of, of film and shooting on film, or maybe not shooting on film, but, you know, you were mentioning how everyone, you know, has a real love of film and, and you want this to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I know reminiscence was shot on the sony venice camera so
0: i was wondering what
2: yeah if you could discuss that what creative and technical considerations were behind that choice
0: well it was pretty simple we wanted to shoot the movie on film of course we wanted to shoot it on film and and you know i did the initial test of the projection and i just said listen we're you know there's a feature on the sony venice where you can use a very high asa like a 2500 Mm. which you can't get on, on on film stock you know and and it just, you know, it had the sensitivity needed to record the projected image in the, in the set. So it just became kind of prohibitive to carry a film package in a, gotcha. you know, I did add live grain to the project and, you know, I did a, I think, a, a very good, you know, di- digital intermediate with Shane Harris and Dave Cole.
2: Yeah, it has a very film-like quality to it.
0: Yeah, so that, you know, it, that's important to me to develop a lookup table, you know, um, that I can film with that emulates the, you know, true nature of film science and, you know, adding the grain later, it's like everybody, you know, nobody wants to pay for it later. Or, you know, everybody's supportive, but it's like, hey, you know, that, that, 175 grand for the grain later like do we really need it it's like no we don't need it we're gonna have it you know, <laughs> because he said yes you know we don't need it we said yes to it you know months ago so of course we're gonna have it you know, like it, you know and then it, it makes a difference when you look at a film mm-hmm. you know unfortunately there's something about the silver screen and, and, and silver crystals being you know light being put through it that created the original magic that brought people to it and it's the same thing like, you know, listening to, you know, badly streamed music where you you're, you think you're hearing a song, but you're not hearing the song, you're hearing half the song, and, Yeah, you know, I mean, it, as good as digital is, you're hearing half the song, you know, so it's just the way it is. So if you, you know, in this case, you try to add grain and come up with a film look and emulate it as much as possible, and it feels like it pretty damn close, but it's half the song, you
2: know. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, it goes back to that desire to really create a more tactile kind of analog experience. And, no. and that goes all the way from, you know, creating that as sort of the 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 way that people are experiencing the visuals of the film. But then, of course, you extended that to doing the actual nostalgia machine with projection on a real physical um you know, mm-hmm. screen so that you have that rather than a digital effect. Yeah, And you shot this uh, on the, um, on anamorphic format as well, right? Or, or did you only use anamorphics for like no, certain shots? No, no, no.
0: I shot the whole film on his Cook Anamorphics, which, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's such a plethora of lenses out there and, you know, I've shot many films on Panavision, which I love, but, you know, we were, this was in kind of an ARRI based one that I did through Kessler camera and who I love and, you know, and in the, in the kind of Arri, ARRI or what we call PL mount world of anamorphic, it's very limited the anamorphic glass. Mm. And, and for me, many of the manufacturers, the glass, it kind of, the cooks make, people render people's faces correctly is so all i can say is it's like there's that nature of the the shape of a face and the roundness and depth of a face that i feel like cook cook really it really feels mm. right i know what you Whereas mean there's a lot of under, other other manu- men you know there's a lot of other manufacturers that it looks good but the heads are round you know, or <laughs> they're squished a the little. the faces bit, are more flat you know and there's a yeah. like, <laughs> you know what i mean so so when I see you know, I do all my tests and go look at them on a big screen and you look at it, you go, you look at one lens from one manufacturer to another and another, you know, every time, you know, for me, the cooks come up in the anamorphic world, I'm like, Jesus, that just looks so beautiful. It just looks, again, it looks analog, you know, it's like it's based on older optics. Yeah, that an- cook look. You know, anamorphic, yeah you know, cook look.
2: But what, uh, what led you to, to make the choice of shooting anamorphic rather than uh, spherical?
0: big screen mm-hmm. you know i mean i you know could care less if people are watching this on an ipad or iphone or or a, you know in, a, in a, on a on an airplane it's like i want you to go in and see the movie in a big screen and look the, the here's the thing it's people used to go to movies to kind of transcend themselves mm-hmm. you know like to give themselves two hours to to kind of free fall into other people's lives to connect on some kind of emotional level, right? And Yeah. And, you know, suddenly it's like, how do we get this freaking content on these devices so people can just watch this shit 24-7? No, we made this movie to project it on a movie screen. That's why we made the movie. We didn't make it for anything else.
2: Well, then we won't get into the, uh, the fact that it's at least... Yeah, well, thankfully, now it's having the theatrical distribution Distribution as well. But, you know, when the release date was first announced, it was going to just go straight to HBO Max. You know, of course, that's due to the, the way they uh, mm-hmm. Warner, Warner Bros. chose to, you know, do their, their release strategy after the pandemic became, you know, the thing that it's been. But um, we won't get into that decision. But I'm really glad that at least people will get the chance to see it the way that you intended it to be seen.
3: Yeah, that's
2: cool. So I had... You know, one of my last questions for you, Paul, about shooting reminiscences is, is about the reminiscence and how you conceived, you know, the visual approach to shooting memories, because I think that is such a cool challenge in a way that I've never really seen in, in any other film. You know, you have flashbacks and that is kind of, you know, over, over the decades, you know, a certain kind of film grammar and and has been mm-hmm. established. And of course, you know, cinematographers and directors have have uh, experimented with various techniques to create this impression of the past and of memory and, and kind of thinking about how do we experience our own memories. But the opportunity for the story of this film gave you kind of a new direction to, to push it. So you can just talk about what you what you were thinking in terms of how to capture the reminiscences, <laughs> those um those memories, you know, projected, and and what you
1: what choices you ultimately made to capture them. Oh, well, I think so, I'll, uh,
0: I'll Paul, Paul.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before you answered, um, unfortunately, okay. I have to take off. Okay. Uh, uh, the the uh, Lisa Joy and uh, Jonathan Nolan have enlisted me on a new project, and I'm leaving. Uh, Los Angeles for a year to do it. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I, mean, I got I have a lot to do. Okay. To, yeah. Well, we'll be in New York, Howard. But I enjoyed talking to you guys so much about this because I I just love you yeah, so much and the, yeah. And thank the, you. A wonderful process of it all, but it's right, yeah. great to hear also. You know, to be able to talk with Paul, especially because yeah. it was such a, a project of uh, you know it, it meant something to us clearly. Great. Yeah. You know
0: yeah well thanks Howard, and we'll see you in new york soon
1: okay it was a pleasure yeah. to have you i appreciate your time okay great bye you guys keep talking though okay all bye. Right. thanks so much bye <laughs> okay bye
0: well i answered that, Derek. i mean i think i'll you know the reminiscences were were i mean the, the projection is the kind of is you know it's all, all done with the same kind of cook lenses so it, it's funny because you know i was like jesus why am i not shooting the reminiscences on 8k spherical blah 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 cuz
2: we don't have anamorphic eyes unless you're you know you have astigmatism
0: yeah. <laughs> 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 and i was just like i was just like i can't do that i just can't you know like what am i going to do get like a you know i could do the venice in 6k or get red komodos in 8k or something and shoot the highest res to project the highest res and i was like you know what I want Hugh Jackman to stand there and look at a projected anamorphic image on, on the reminiscence machine and photograph that with an anamorphic image, you know, like the doppelganger, the doppelganger of anamorphic, I guess. So I just kind of put one up, you know, the, the key thing was the the the, the, the memories themselves when the characters channel to their memories and and I decided I'm gonna find one lens that is like the one spice of the dish mm-hmm. you know like the one or the one note of a, of a riff or something that's just i'm gonna stick to it i'm gonna get that lens i'm gonna find it i'm gonna project you know look at it i'm gonna shoot the hell out of it i'm gonna see see what it is and that's my you know <clears throat> ultimately that's my kind of inside the the memory lens mm-hmm. you know and so i found it.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, it's a good point, though, actually. We may not see the world anamorphic, but maybe our, you know, if you think about what is happening in memory, we're sort of you know, like, like metaphorically squishing reality in our brain and morphing it. So maybe anamorphic is the perfect format to capture (laughs) memory.
0: (laughs) And we put our own bokeh in the background of our memory shots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We sure do.
2: Yeah, we have like the background is like, you know, an F 1.1. And then the rest of the shot in our memory is like F 12 or, you know, 22.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly exactly it is it is like that so it's, you know, it's kind of selective memory and uh you know
2: so did you do any other tricks uh to capture the memories or any no other not. choices that guided no, your shooting no.
0: no i mean it you know again the time was challenged and you know the money was challenged on it so it was like, like you know we went the extra mile to figure out what it would take to do it and then it was like okay we just had to i had to shoot these scenes and i had to clear everybody out and i just work with you know, my B camera operator, uh, Robert Campbell, and A camera operator, Chris Harhoff. And I'm like, these are the shots I need for projection. You know, I need this one. And I had them all marked on a chart. So it was like, I need that one. So they start measuring that one out. I need that one here. I need that one here. Let's get some scaffolding scaffold to get that shot or crane. or, And there was, um, you know, it's just kind of like committing... You know it's like being a storyteller like committing to the path of the story is like committing to the path of the cinematography you know and that's kind of a very important when you're challenged with something technical and a, you know in this case, how do you how do you do something very technical and make it feel very emotional
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> you
0: know? mm-hmm. and I think also that you know fortunately, I've shot a couple of movies, so you know I have a little experience and
3: <laughs> yeah, you sure do kind of,
0: <laughs> kind of, you know, you kind of, you know, you go, you know, there's a good, there's a good point in, you know, our lives where we kind of fluctuate from our heart to our mind and back to our heart. And, you know, I think this one was those coming from Heart Place, you know, with, with enough mind left to kind of pull it off, you know.
2: Yeah. Well, the mind was in the script and the heart too, I'd say, but clearly it was, you know, a very cere- cerebral film. Yeah, exactly. There, this being the art of the shot there's one shot that I wanted to ask you about which is uh you know I, I think it's fair to to say that this may be a spoiler but I, I feel it's it's probably fine you know for for anyone listening they, they should have seen the film sure. uh, so when when Hugh Jackman's character is first have basically his first uh, you know date with uh, Rebecca Ferguson playing mm-hmm. the character of May Um there's sort of like a little plot twist where that moment that we're seeing is, is suddenly revealed to be one of his memories in, uh, you know, in the reminiscence and it like, she suddenly goes from reality to, to almost being submerged in water. And then like reality, like the water pulls away mm-hmm. as he comes yeah. out of the, yeah, yeah. the water tank he's in. How did you shoot that transition? Well,
0: you know, it's, uh, the show you're talking about, we actually did on a rooftop in Miami and, uh, um you know i talked about it with lisa we talked about the water and you know how hugh jackman would see you know we storyboarded some shots with how he would see rebecca's character may in the water as he's uh, and then she gets pulled away in the water so it's so that shot we just kind of conceived of and kind of stuck with the idea and it was you know i went i just actually did a you know, kind of a DI transition from the daylight scene where Hugh's kind of looking at her, and then we kind of we go into this kind of more aqua underwater look on her and then underwater and she kind of fades away. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, we planned that shot and you know, I knew I would do a digital change there. But you know, it's the funny thing is, you know, it just reminds me of you know, we'd be doing coverage on something and she'd just be like, just go to a wider lens and have Rebecca look in the lens. And I'm like, No, we'll never use that coverage, you know, or whatever. And I re- yeah. I remember like, uh, the shot uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> language changed right before almost Change, to signify yeah. like so something changed, is so. off. Yeah.
0: And the funny thing is she's like, I'm like, what do you, what's this for editorially? And she's, I don't know. It just feels like I, I just want to do it. I, maybe it'll be the memories. I don't know, but I just want her to look in the lens. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's funny I mean, with all the experience I have, but you look at her and it's like, well, do you really want to do that? It's You know, if this gets cut in, it will be very awkward. Yeah. Unless and it, it's it was. used another way. And then what does she do? She used every single shot another way you uh-huh. know what i mean and that's the kind of you know that's the kind of thing where you're like you know jesus we're we're an hour behind we gotta stick another lens on to do this and get close and things like every one of those shots was used mm-hmm. you know so you know as soon as we did one or two i was like okay she's she's wants this for some you know editorial kind of the flooding of memories later when hugh jackman's in the tank and it was beautiful it was like because you can only, you know, a film like this. If you, you think you can sit there and figure it all out, but you can't. You have to get in and, and and kind of, you know, start, you know, screwing things in and taking things apart, and you know, kind of figuring out what 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 makes it tick. And that was great working with Hugh Jackman and, and Rebecca Ferguson and Tandy Newton and Clip. Again, it's like you know, at the end of the day, you go, you know, go out and have a, a beer or coffee together or <laughs> something, and. Try to figure out, like, what, what, how do we make this better? How do we find out what this is? You know, like and they were also colli- and, like, all of a sudden you realize shit, these people really care about this movie. <laughs> so, they're like hanging out and talking about it, and and you know normally you know actors don't do that.
2: Yeah, after rap, they just kind of want to get their head out of the project.
0: You know, it's also it's like doing a play or something. You know, I've seen that experience before with my brother is an actor, where you know you. You see a group of people kind of entrust themselves with it into a director vision, right? Mm-hmm. And they kind of hold them, you know, in, in their arms all together and kind of you know carry them through it. A lot of films are like that. It's like, you know, well, you know, here's here's your report to time, here's your trailer, here's your set call time, you know, here's your turnaround time. We'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that can often be the experience, but you you may get the most amazing performance out of out of those actors, but the experience is much different. You know, they they don't necessarily let you know let the director in that much. I see, and in this case, I think it was you know they all let let Lisa weigh in, you know weigh in. Which was amazing.
2: Well, those uh those shots really came in, in play, you know, and they created that effect of like feeling like reality is somehow off and then and then you know y- you go into that transition of the underwater and then everything kind of just mm. just makes sense and you put it together. But leading yeah. up to it, there's an emotional effect. It isn't just like, you know, the the rug of reality is pulled out from under you. It's like you right. the the way that the experience was created on screen was that, you know, you were kind of led to it. So it was foreshadowing it in a way. So it worked. It was great. Um, I have three rapid fire questions for you um, before we end the conversation. And I was wondering if you uh, have the time to just uh, answer them for me.
0: Yeah, let's go for it.
2: I'd love to hear what you have to say. Beautiful. So the first is um, on the topic of, you know, camera, placement and everything, you know, especially as a cinematographer who's directed, I want to hear what you have to say to the, the question, where do you put the camera? There's always, you know, a million ways to shoot a scene. And, you know, there's that quote from David Fincher, you know, most of them are wrong. So what, what is like the kind of philosophy you have that, that underlies your choice of where you put the camera?
0: i think both as a director and director of photography you know you stand there in rehearsal and you walk around and it, you know all of a sudden you stop you know? mm-hmm. and and you realize this is like you've kind of just walked in the door you know mm-hmm. of the scene and you know you 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 feel like this is the this is you know this is kind of the this is the angle that's telling the story, you know, or if it's a storytelling shot, this is where it begins, you know, and it develops into this and it develops into that. And, and then, you know, a good director and, or collaboration with a DP or a good DP, you know, who's got more experience than a director can help with actors and help things develop into the shot. And so that, you know, it's about becomes about the storytelling, you know, but I often think I put the camera in the wrong place, you know. And then I look at films like, you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or something that Ellen shot, Ellen course. and I'm like, how does she know how to put the kit? Well, every week, and I ask her that, and she's like, I didn't know where to put the camera. I just put it where I thought it was right. You know? mm-hmm. And it's kind of that thing of, yeah, you intuition. You got you got to kind of you know do that. You know, you can draw your little diagrams, you can come up with your plans, but you got to stand there and, and, and go through the door.
2: You know? mm, I like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like moving through the space and then stopping when it feels right.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I like that. Um, my second question is what was really important to you at the start of your career that you, you thought really mattered, but no longer matters to you now that you've had the experience that you do.
0: I think for me in the beginning of my career, you know, I, I, you know, had the opportunity of working on a couple of bigger films and i had done, I've done, you know, maybe a couple of small films in New York, but, you know, jumping onto a film like Gone in 60 Seconds and then Swordfish or something where, you know, I brought a lot of lighting style and camera movement and rigging cars and, you know, an activity to these films that, that I felt was, uh, um, very appropriate at the time and then looking back i feel like geez why did i use those colored lights and why did i put move the camera so much when the actors weren't moving and so i think it's an it's an evolution of like settling down with yourself you know it's like Mm -hmm. probably like you know if you're a guitar player and you're used to playing in your garage and then you plug plug your guitar in your first stadium And you hear, and you play that first chord and it echoes through the stadium and it's a different sound, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And, and you want to put it out there the way you thought you were in your garage, you know, in your mind, basically. So, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of style um, or certain style, you know, in these films, they were probably more appropriate, but it's. You know i think for me when i started working with, with with tony scott a bit it was like stepping back and kind of you know let's let it happen and don't impose so much of this on that let's mm-hmm. and he can he was evolving too at that time it was like let's shoot this like you know let's be conductors in a symphony and kind of set a proscenium stage and shoot this more naturalist fashion with more cameras and that was the evolution for me, you know, professionally and creatively, where it was like, you know, the, I became fearless in a different way, and not bringing, you know, preconditioned ideas of, you know, the lighting has to be like this, and the camera has to move, what even though the actors aren't moving it, or you know, just keep it cool, keep it real, you know, keep it real was not keep it cool, you know. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, keep it real kind of comes after. You know, you know enough about your craft, and 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 you've had enough experience on set to say, no, no, this is this is this is servicing the vision the way it really needs to be serviced. You know.
2: Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of um, just building that confidence level to know that what works is sometimes exactly what's needed, and you don't need yeah, a exactly. lot of like extra um, flourishes in order to compensate for the fact that you know you don't you know, let's say at the beginning of your career, really know that it will work.
3: Yeah, correct. Yeah, interesting. Hmm.
2: Great answer. Thank you. And then my last question is, going off the, uh, the theme and the plot of, of uh, Reminiscence and the value of nostalgia in the past and revisiting it, I want to hear from you what you think, uh, what film from this century you feel deserves to be seen from people or by people a century from now?
0: Jesus, that's a tough one, Derek. <laughs> like this century. Yeah.
2: What do you think, yeah, 2121, what film from this century would you want to see again if you were alive?
0: It's like an opening a flood there. Um, <laughs> yeah, trying to think the film that's really affected me the most emotionally in this century. The
2: and see, it's interesting that you go there. You're not going to what film was the most aesthetically impactful experience for you. You go to what affected you the most emotionally. I like that. Yeah. Well, as a cinematographer, people might feel like you'd go to the aesthetics first, you know. Mm. But of course, that's why you're working at the level you are, because you go beyond that. You go to the emotions.
0: It wouldn't be my answer, but uh, what's the Marie and... Uh, what's the Black and White movie with... Uh, Malcolm memory, That's it. So, you know, maybe that. You know, maybe this could be my answer because it's. You know, it's. A, you know, this film is about uh, a night um, in a relationship where two people come home, and it. You know, happens to be about a, a character who's a director who's. I think he just had a film come out, and you know, it got trashed in the reviews, and it's it's this kind of again, uh, who's afraid of Virginia. Wolf night that they go through levels of their relationship and you you experience these levels of this relationship in the most kind of raw, authentic way. And, and it's just kind of, you turn, you know, when the movie's over, you're like, you've kind of been led into this, you know, again, emotional window of life, you know, where, yeah. Check it out. I mean, here's a guy who shot a film, he shot, during COVID, on black and white, uh, negative, right? Uh, re- recent member addition to the ASC barely had any crew. They all lived in a house during COVID and made this movie. And but we we'll just watched the film. Curious, just you know, let me know when you see, what you think of it. But it's yeah, we just don't make movies like this anymore. You know, it's not nobody. Nobody sat and looked at the marketing on this one and, and talked about it. You know, nobody said, "Oh shit, this film's great for these people."
3: Mm-hmm.
0: This guy is just like this is my story, just like Elisa, you know. This is my story. I'm gonna tell it. I don't care. It's gonna go on a screen. People come gray, you know. But my answer to that is, we need films again. We need stories like that. People need to go in a dark room with other people and sit down, look at films, walk out of the theater, walk a couple blocks, sit at a bar, or cafe, and talk about it because your lives will change you know? yeah you'll experience life differently you know and that's that's why films have been around for for as long as they have as a medium because it's relevant
3: you know mm-hmm.
0: you know hey i hate to say it i'm gonna have to run
2: oh that's totally fine of course yeah we've been talking for two hours and i, I so appreciate your time
0: oh so it's good to talk to you're one of the be- you know obviously one of the better you know uh interviewers out there just seeing that they you, you ask very good questions and you, you follow people very well and
2: oh thank you uh, a
0: lot of people even though they've seen the movie don't even understand
2: right <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm glad you understand it
2: <laughs> well i'd like to see nice. it again but again you know the, the the sheer impact of imax makes things hit more right so yeah exactly. it leaves more to, of an impression it does well, i'm glad you like it yeah well thank you so much i i appreciate the compliment have a great rest of your weekend. I appreciate okay. your time. You too, man. Thanks. Appreciate okay. it. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Art of the Shot podcast, and I hope you enjoyed. I want to just take a moment and thank our sponsor, Evidence Cameras. They're not just another rental house, but born from working camera professionals passionate about the gear that helps make the shot and helping you achieve your vision. And they've now moved to a bigger and better location just outside Atwater Village, with more equipment and staff than ever before. They've even partnered with Production Space right next door, offering a 10,000 square foot production stage, including a large state-of-the-art panoramic LED video wall for virtual production work. Now open, I encourage you to consider giving them a shot for your next project. So, Paul Cameron's a fan, and if you've listened this far, you might be too. So please be sure to subscribe And if you'd like to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, that would be wonderful to help new listeners discover the show. Thank you. And stay tuned for what's to come. Here's a hint
1: Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know
3: what you're going to get.